you have all the answers already. And that's one of the value of, uh, again, what we call Sistema. Hmm. Uh, it's not knowledge that was injected to you. Uh, it belonged to you from the start, from the, it's your birthright. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. So, Sergei Makarenko, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. Great, thanks for making the time. So you're you're on a road trip just now, driving across California, joining us in the middle. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a short trip. Yeah, not too bad. Brill. So, can you tell us a little bit about um, where you're teaching and training just now, and how long you've been involved with Sistema? Uh, I met Vlad in 2002. I think it was uh, uh, Ike Expo in Vegas, mm. uh, and uh, at that time, I saw his clips looked faked. And I came to Aki Expo to try Aikido. Uh-huh. Uh, I was at that time was teaching judo for California for over ten years, and I decided to try something something new. Aikido was on my on my bucket list for a long time, so I decided to give it a shot. And yeah. Aki Expo was a good a good event, a good size. Yeah, to try it out. It's not like so. There's a one Russian guy from uh, Toronto that uh, have some fake clips, <laughs> fake looking clips on the yeah. map. Uh-huh. Uh, the, his seminar is his 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 section uh, was the first one, and uh, I would say about in five minutes, I said, "Forget Aikido." I found out what I was looking for. <laughs> awesome, a happy accident. <laughs> it is, it yeah. is happy accident, yes. But right. incidentally, uh, I've been doing sambo for by that time for over twenty years, mm. uh, and I heard because I was doing both sport and combat sambo, yeah. and I was uh, my coaches uh, in sambo were actually students of the one of the sambo founders mm. uh and uh we were doing sport and sambo and i heard there's one more section in sambo that is not taught anywhere and very few people know about it mm. and in the whole country about 17 people left who knows anything about that portion of secret knowledge yeah and uh, even though some at the time called system uh, it more looked like a salad uh, technique from different arts yeah. put together without the backbone, yeah. uh, which pretty much what the most uh, modern martial arts are. Yeah. Uh, so something, something uh, like an integrating compound was missing in yeah. this thing. Mm. Uh, and I wasn't lucky, even though I've been looking for one of those 17 people, uh, I couldn't find anyone. Mm. Later, it turned out that Michael at the time was teaching in Moscow literally just a several blocks from the from my uh sambo gym wow so you've been training a long time the whole time you've been training a long time yeah i didn't even know there was a it was anything like that was existing yeah Uh, so it took me to get to uh california actually at that time vegas to meet someone like vlad uh his caliber and his knowledge yeah to recognize that something that uh, i just met incidentally uh is what I've been looking for. Wow, that's amazing! It took so, me a while. It, it took me a while to understand that uh, Sistema is it is like a backbone of different martial arts. Yeah, you can uh, plug anything to that uh, backbone or that operation system, and mm-hmm. run your application. You can call it uh, Glenn Sergey Do and uh, create your own martial arts. Right. <laughs> Let's not do that though for now. So <laughs> you could probably well, pull that people, off. But I can say. <laughs> people try it. See how many people yeah. branch out of the uh, system and they yeah, yeah. Uh, call it their own names. Yeah. Yeah. That's Good it. luck. Yeah. It was, uh, I think it was up in the uh, parameters of power seminar. We were both at last summer and um, 
and Vlad was talking about that before. He's sort of saying, I, I don't know if it was during the seminar or in the week before when I was training up there. He said, you know, some people, they take Sistema and they kind of go away and they you know, take something, part, an apple off the tree and they think they have the tree, but all they've got is an apple and pretty soon it rots. You know, and I thought that was quite an interesting kind of analogy <laughs> to draw. So, Precisely. Yeah. Uh, in, again, we are, even though we're very fortunate to be exposed to Vlad and Michael and all the experience and knowledge they have, mm -hmm. uh, it is important to understand that it's even that is only portion of the bigger knowledge. Yeah. So why, why to cut even that small portion into pieces and run away with it? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. We disassemble it. It comes apart like a, like a living thing, exactly. I guess. Yeah. It's not a robot. Yeah, definitely. Well, so that's interesting that you came to it. Um, so did you start Sambo through kind of like sport and school and college or did you go for kind of the army route? Because when I talk to people, um, sometimes I meet Russians here in the triangle and NC and, and they say, Oh, and I talk to them or they ask me what I do. And I sort of say, well, I write and I do science books and consulting and also teach the Sistema. And they're like, what's that? And I was a Russian martial art. And very few Russians in the wider scope of things. Now a little bit more as it's becoming more popular on in the internet and stuff like that. But most Russians you meet are like, oh, I've not heard of it. Is that like Sambo or something like that, right? That's the closest thing that they kind of have to compare to. And then once or twice, I've met a couple of people who did Sambo who sort of say, yeah, I've heard of Sistema, but that was just only military guys doing it. And they didn't realize that it was a martial art that people do, you know, outside the military and stuff like that. Has, was that your experience too? Did you come into it through the a military route or did you just find it independently that way? No, I was doing martial arts as a sport, uh, yeah. and uh, my military, even though I can make up a good story, I have this best <laughs> nice background. Uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's a trendy thing to do. <laughs> yes, well, it's a good marketing. Uh, no, my military experience, about 37 days of the uh, old camps, which I took as a lieutenant, and uh, hmm. that was it. No, my, my uh, exposure to martial arts is pretty much only in a sport arena. Yeah. Uh, Wrestling, freestyle wrestling, karate, then judo, then sambo, then sambo and judo. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's in that way. And you said you practice both sambo and combat sambo. Is, am I right in thinking that the difference with those is that combat sambo has like striking and combat and sambo is pure grappling or is there some other distinction? Well, it's uh, classification of sambo was pretty much divided uh, into the sport, sambo, combat sambo and special department. Okay. Uh, normally, combat sambo is uh, the way we were hmm. uh, learning and teaching it later to law enforcement. Uh, it's only in second step of the sports sambo. You can take any throw, any arm lock, and take it uh, to disarming, yeah. um, arresting techniques. Hmm. But in reality, it was not. Uh, it was combat version of the sports sambo. Okay, gotcha. Interesting. Did you did you kind of know that at the time? Is that what took you on a kind of an odyssey to look at other martial arts and maybe think about like judo and aikido and other things that you weren't kind of satisfied with the skill set that you had, or was there some, or, or you, did you not know until you started training Sistema? It was no time actually. I was I noticed that something was missing mm. uh, in in the area I was exposed to, but it was no time for look for something else. Uh, in my college years, we were competing every weekend. Uh, um, for two years yeah and you train three four days a week for a few hours uh as a sideline of the sports sambo and judo we were doing boxing kickboxing for explosive power mm. uh i tried a competition in kickboxing a couple times i didn't like the knockdown part yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i gave it away <laughs> it's brilliant so so you could did you compete in sambo as well or, or like yes uh, yeah yes. like well, regularly so it was 
if you know the history of the judo, uh, what is now look like is called Olympic judo hmm. is more like traditional sambo than original judo. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Judo became Olympic sport in 1964. Uh, before that time, it was very limited exposure of the Soviet Union yeah. to judo as the uh, as a sport. Hmm. But sambo is, was very well developed. So the first people who competed uh, from Soviet Union in uh, I think it was Tokyo Olympic Games uh, in judo mm. were actually sambo players, and they did very good. Mm. Uh, formally, judo techniques about 2,000 techniques. Mm. Uh, in comparing to sambo, sports sambo is about 10 times that. Oh wow! I didn't realize it was that perfect. I, I so knew there was a lot of movement, the, but yeah. Mm. Technically, sambo is much more. Uh, rich than the judo and it was noticed it was noticed and the people who were serious in competitive competitive judo decided to take over and japanese were uh, buying just about anything they could find in judo or mm. on the sambo and they implemented so mm. in a way uh, what we look at what we'll look at as judo now is a lot of it uh, taken from uh, from sambo if right. you look at the bj about 20 years ago and you compare it to the BJJ now with all the leg locks. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the first BJJ competition and the UFC and the, when it started, yeah, you couldn't see any uh, any leg locks. Yeah. I think uh, Taktar was the first one who actually started using that. Yeah, yeah, he was famously coming into UFC. Yeah, he's, he caught a lot of people and out. With look, it. look what look what happened now with the BJJ. They took it and uh, uh, had to give them the credit. They did it uh, very well, developing leg locks into the fantastic art. Yeah, a friend of mine, the place where actually where I first started um, teaching Sistema down here, a friend of mine owns a, like a kickboxing and uh, BJJ gym, and he invited a guy, what's his name, Riley Bodicum, I think his name is. He's actually, I think he's out in Arizona or Nevada, and uh, and he's a he, he trained a lot of sambo, like mostly sambo, and um, and this and figured out that he started training BJJ, he got frustrated because he wasn't learning fast enough, or they wouldn't grade him. He was doing pretty well in tournaments and things, and then he ended up. Um, training, cross-training some sambo, and then came back to BJJ and just blitzed all of the competitions. He was just getting people in leg locks all over the place, and and so uh, yeah, my friend Scott was getting them in for two or his BJJ guys to be like, oh, let's just teach them some proper leg locks. The only way you can learn it properly is to get a sambo guy in, which I thought was quite interesting. You know, he did a, a few hours seminar, and they were they were yeah. You know, later yeah. on, when the uh, yeah. because BJJ was the best marketing, with best marketed martial art that uh, we saw in the past twenty years, yeah, and as fast as growing. Yeah, uh, seeing how fast it's developing internally, uh, different style, different schools. Yeah, um, they're the fastest growing art. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. they became very uh, too popular for their going, going good. Uh, and I mm-hmm. uh, see we're looking at the peak now. From this point, they start uh, declining. Oh, you think we've reached uh, peak, JJ? We've hit it <laughs> like uh, peak oil. <laughs> not in the popularity, but in the yeah. quality. Uh, mm. Because once you start introducing more formal rules, more competition, any sport uh, formed by the rules. Mm. Uh, if you look at the Olympic wrestling, freestyle and Roman wrestling, it's not very fun to watch it because there's too many rules and regulations were implemented and yeah. pretty much castrated the art. Same mm. thing will have happen to judo. Uh, same thing will happen to BJJ. There's no exceptions. Uh, mm. Jigoro Kano walked away from the first All Japan Championship saying, this is not what I taught you. Wow, I didn't know that. I've read a bit about Jigoro Kano, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Yeah, not the later years. I didn't know how he viewed what it got taught, uh, what it became. I guess he originally thought it was going to be for education, right, for more than anything else, right? It's a subset of jujitsu and techniques, really. Well, so it's to learn about Jigoro body. Kano, I think he, he was the uh, minister of education. Yeah. I think of Japan at that time when he decided to turn a criminally popular jujitsu into more health-oriented judo. 
Yeah. So he was politically influencing a uh, new uh, new martial art in Japan, and yeah. I never seen his uh, original Kodokan Judo. Mm. Uh, all I saw was what became the sport out of it. Right. Gotcha. Bro. So, so do you think there are any parallels in the way that um, Sistema is is growing now, or do you have any of the same um, worry, worries and concerns about it? We talked mentioned a little bit about how sometimes how people are splitting off a little so. bit, or well, do you think that the route saves it from that basically because it has a different goal? I think we're safe. Yeah. We're very safe in the department yeah. because okay, there are no competition, no promotion. Yeah. Uh, and the only way to pass knowledge is to understand what you're teaching. You mm. cannot challenge information, right? You go to one of the seminars, yeah. uh, and you cannot take the content of the seminar and introduce in your own practice. Yeah. Unless yeah. you process it yourself. So yeah. what you're teaching uh, is your own version of Sistema. Sure. And yeah. the more you're exposed to it, the more uh, the more you put uh, your own understanding into it. Yeah, uh, the better your teaching is. So mm-hmm. it's not like a textbook teaching. You pick up one technique in one school, yeah. you bring to your own and start teaching in there. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah. Sistema. And it's probably the only martial arts that uh, that does it. Yeah, I'm not sure about yeah. Bujin Khan, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, any other art, you can teach techniques, step-by-step yeah. scenario, yeah. and you can do it for years, and you can make a living out of it. Sure, yeah. And keep keep the really fancy stuff back for a little while so that the students stay keen. And so, yes. You can teaspoon formation. Yeah. Uh, you can run promotion in increments mm. uh, from white belt to yellow belt uh, with all the stripes. Uh, it's marketing. It's commerce. Yeah. Uh, I would say we're, we're free from that to, to, to some extent. I, I guess so, the downside is, the, um, is that we don't have those... We don't have the up the benefits of those marketing tools, right? The the extrinsic reward of the belts to keep people interested. No, I'm very like grateful so, for that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am too. But it's just a. Do you, do you feel like there's um culturally it um that it's more difficult to get people to try it and stay with it here because people aren't quite as patient. Um, like and people in the states want kind of that that immediate kind of reward and feedback and all that kind of stuff. Or, or do you think that that's just kind of a and it oh. comes down to individuals. In your own experience, from let's say ten people walking to your practice, sure. how many how many people will stay and try it out? Maybe two. Yeah, if they, if they come through the door, we've got a fairly fairly high retention. Actually, so most people who come through, I'd say maybe like four out of ten will give it at least a few we'll, months. And then we'll try it out. We'll, we'll yeah, try it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, if you're lucky, one will stay. Yeah, one or two usually. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, for the long run, yeah, if you're looking like a couple of years, then yeah, yeah, for the most part, yeah. So retention rate is much lower. And uh, it's not because we are hiding something. It's very obvious. It's mm. simple, yeah. uh, but they're disadvantaged for newbies, uh, for, for new people who are trying out, because there is there are no metric of uh, progress. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. It's hard. You have to be honest with yourself and uh, compare yourself with yourself a few years ago. It's not, it's not easy to do. No, You definitely. have to be very observative. Yeah. Uh, so in a way that approach, uh, promotes, uh, honesty with yourself. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How many people want to do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> did, do you, um, did you, do you think that you came to that idea? Did you understand that that was necessary in Sistema right away when you started training or was there some sort of transition out of training the sport martial arts you did before and into Sistema or did you just say, this is for me, this is what I've always been looking for. And, and you rolled straight in. Well, or did you have difficulties? No, when I saw first Vlad, what he was doing, because in, in, 
the first thing he uh, on the mat he asked me to do to show me how uh, what's my background what I can do there was a knife work so he asked me to do uh, some disarming work with the knife yeah and uh, after I did he said okay well, it's, it's good and it was a samba the traditional samba block uh, control and throw yeah comparing to what he was doing at that time in the mat uh, it was day and night because yeah. uh, my work was clumsy and he was like a ballet dancing. Right. Yeah. yeah. But extremely, extremely efficient, precise. I didn't recognize the details uh, of what he was doing, but the definitely does understand the value and the magnitude of, uh, of, I would say, the value of it. I don't know how to say it, say it better. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, quality. Right. Yeah. Quality of the work. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, at that time, he was doing more seminars in the States. Uh, for a couple of years, I followed him pretty much to every seminar. I was doing the Toronto trips, and I kept asking questions, mm. I would say, for a few years yeah. until I realized it makes it, it does make sense to ask questions. But uh, <laughs> if you can formulate good question as a student, yeah, uh, and if you think for a second, uh, you wouldn't ask questions if you would know the answers, you're looking mostly for confirmation, yeah. Yeah, you hear that a lot sometimes when Vlad says, you know, when he asks like, any questions and people are like, yeah, um, you know, I, I really like the part where my attention was moving around stuff going on. And you, and you realize that people aren't really asking a question. They're just kind of trying to demonstrate they know something, right? The quality of the question is just like, oh, look, I, I learned something. Look, you know, pat me on the head, daddy. You know, that kind of thing a little bit, you know. It's kind so of funny. When yeah. you train, if you pay attention to what you're doing yeah. and actually take a time to observe yourself, uh, and doing it honestly and uh, with your attention, then uh, you will see that all the questions, you have all the answers already. And mm. that's one of the value of, uh, again, what we call Sistema. Mm. Uh, it's not knowledge that was injected to you. Uh, it belonged to you from the start. From mm. the, It's your birthright. Yeah. You're just given a chance to, uh, to reveal it and uh, research it. Yeah. I guess that's another reason why it's, um, maybe we don't have to worry about it being taken away and, and you know, marketed in the same way as other arts and diluted because it's not really a process of just taking techniques and adding them on. It's more a process of stripping away, right? You just remove the excess stuff that's, that, that's, that's not natural and that's not uh, or correct. Or out, yes. Yeah. So uh, mm. look, how many people know how to breathe? Everyone is breathing. Mm. Unless you explain people what to pay attention to sure. and uh, what is the logic of doing it a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So did, so how long were you, um, how long were you, training um, before you started to teach Sistema, before you started to um, open up your school and, and try and uh, start a training group? I never, well, I never had a school. I always had a group. Yeah. I started teaching about two, three years after I met Vlad. Sure. Okay. Just yeah. to have a just to have a group to train with. Yeah, that's the usual path thing. I did the same thing. I met exactly. Vlad in 2007 and started kind of te- – there was nobody else in North Carolina at the time. Well, Mark Jacobson was on the other side of the state, which might as well be nowhere near us. And so I started a training group of four or five people. And then that's the – I think that's the normal progression, right, people? So you've got someone to play with and then, <laughs> and then you do a lot of trips to HQ and then eventually exactly. you work your way up. Yeah. And that's the next step in your own development. You start seeing not just your own mistakes. First yeah. of all, you're more encouraged to, uh, you have more reason sure. uh, to grow yourself faster, to yeah. present yourself as the, not as the superior uh, master, but at least as the leader yeah. of your own students. And yeah. second, you can see other people's errors to help them better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you learn a lot from it, definitely. And provided that you keep training at the same time, I think. Definitely. <laughs> keep getting check-ins, regular kind of it ego adjustments. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, tough one. So um, did, did you... 
and, and now you're teaching in the Northern California area, um, Sacramento, that kind of area? Is that right? Yeah, Sacramento. Gotcha. Brilliant. How long have you been there? Well, I've been living in Sacramento since 92. Oh, wow. So uh, the whole time you've been teaching. I've been teaching about 2005, 2005 yeah. 2006. So since then, okay. I've been doing this. A few years ago, uh, about four years ago, I ended up being disabled. So I had to uh, learn how to walk again. Yeah, I was semi paralyzed. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, yeah, coming on to this one because I think you have a, a kind of a similar story to, in some ways, to Gene Smithson, who knows was was completely and um, disabled by his his accident, his injury, and then managed to build himself back up again. And I think that's a fascinating aspect of Sistema that you can use it to do that, right? It's. Um, but before we get onto that, real quick, I was just going to ask: Are there things that you feel like you've picked up in your teaching philosophy, or things that you've picked, um, things that you ways that you like to put things across to people in your teaching? Or do you just try and pass through as faithfully as possible whatever it is that um, Vladimir and Michael are bringing down to you? No, I'm trying not to copy neither Vlad or Michael in, in anything I do because it's mm. uh, not because I don't like what they do. Yeah. I admire greatly. Uh, but copying copying doesn't work. You have, yeah. because it's different. If you look at the uh, at your own group, yeah, you have different people every single time. Even you change within the practice uh, continuously. Sure. So copying is simply does not work. It's not flexible enough. You can do it for a while uh, just to get in the rhythm, yeah. but then you'll have to apply your teaching to specific people you're working with. Sure. Uh, when I started teaching, I was wondering how uh, because after seeing so many practices, Vlad and Michael are doing, I was wondering: is there anything planning goes into it? Mm. Uh, and uh, the answer I got, besides praying, mm. <laughs> there are no there, there are no preparation. Right. So everything born right there on the spot. Mm. And uh, I try to do the same thing. Start start some kind of planning ahead, uh, drills, uh, ideas. Uh, yeah. But then when you start the practice, everything changes. All your plan go out the window, and you start working with the people who are in front of you, sure. regardless how many of them are one or ten. Yeah, uh, because they have their needs, and they, even though they don't recognize it, uh, it is your your responsibility to find out what they need at the moment, hmm. and make sure then when they walk away from the practice, they first of all they happy with themselves, they feel happy with their own progress, hmm. or at least they happy with the uh, noticing their deficiencies, hmm. uh, and the physical, uh, physically and psychologically, they should feel better than when they walked in. Yeah. Not my saying, I don't remember who said it, but if your students are walk away from the practice, not having more energy when they walked in, yeah. you fail at the practice. Yeah, yeah that, was, um, that was Vlad's first, uh, uh, what he told me about teaching, he said your, your main job first and foremost is to make them leave feeling better than when they came in. If they learn some martial arts on top of that, great, but that's not the, <laughs> so that's not, yeah. Yeah, that's not the main goal. The goal is to make them understand more about themselves and leave with more energy, that's it. That's like, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And there's different way to interpret it, but the, the way I understand it, uh, you have to, even though people leave unhappy or uh, dissatisfied with themselves, uh, there should be something they take home to work with. Yeah, yeah, some curiosity or something. Yeah. As an instructor, my job is not to please people every time. My yeah. job is to give them something to work with. So uh, that happiness and more energy, more energy is given. So if you pace of practice right they will have more energy because they get uh, less tension about it so by mm. itself by default they'll have more energy 
psychologically, emotionally, they should feel better, not because they accomplish something, but because they can see uh, the path, mm. stay on which they can accomplish more. Yeah, feel inspired as opposed to, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction because it's an easy trap to fall into, I think, when you're teaching to try and be like the great teacher, right? To be good at teaching and, and have everybody happy, but you can't make everybody happy all the time, right? All you're really doing is setting out some parameters and a pathway and to the best of your abilities. And then people have to work with that, right? And it depends where they're at and their, in their, you know, their own experience and their understanding of themselves. There's lots of factors that kind of get in the way. Um, so you can't please everybody all the time, you know? Ideally. Yes. Mm. And the idea, your goal is not to please everyone in the class, at least, mm. uh, but again, at the same time, if you uh, your interest also commercial in teaching, hmm. and you want to retain students, yeah. then you have to keep people coming. Yeah. So bit, you have to meet them somewhere halfway, and yeah. for that reason, I don't make living teaching systema. Mm -hmm. I like. Yeah. <laughs> I like not to be obligated to please people. Sure. Yes. Yeah, nice to keep it as a circuit. So, out of interest, what do you do for your main uh, gig? For your main work? Uh, I'm engineer by trade and education, and I. Uh, uh, do project management for the state of California at that time. Oh, I'm great. a bureaucrat. Gotcha. I'm a professional bureaucrat. <laughs> Coming and fix other people's problems, <laughs> rescue projects and things like that. Great. Brilliant. So, um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about um, your your illness and um, and coming back from um, your um, disability, really. Like you were almost completely disabled, right, by your spine. Um, Spinal, it was meningitis, was it at the time? I'm just trying to remember. It was, well, it, meningitis is viral infection. Uh, yeah. Mine was bacterial. I had a staph infection yeah. uh, in the spine cord. Wow. Uh, how it got there is still a mystery, but uh, mm. uh, pretty much my spine cord was infected from top to bottom, mm. and I was one step away from surgical cleansing. Wow. Uh, fortunately, they found that the staph infection that I had was treatable by antibiotics, mm. uh, and I stay on antibiotics for four months. Wow. Yeah. Uh, not not fun because it's a uh, truckload of the side effects. Yeah, I can imagine. And for those of you who haven't come across um, Sergey in, in in training, has I mean, you're a formidable guy. You're a, usually, I think we met in the maybe 2008 at the summit of Masters when we were doing drowning work. And uh, at one point, I think there were four people hanging off of you, attempting to drown you, just kind of bench pressing four people and swinging them around your head, helicoptering. So, what was it like going from you know probably always kind of enjoying that physicality and knowing you had that body to being kind of laid really, really low and not being able to feel strong for that time? You know, I was happy to be alive by itself, so everything else was the byproduct. Wow. Okay. When I was yeah. discharged from the hospitals, I lost about 80 pounds. 80 and pounds. it's mostly muscle weight. Yeah. Uh, I was, well, I was discharged for about two months. I was walking in the pool because I have an indoor pool on the in-ground pool, so I could walk on in the water. Yeah. Gotcha. So that was, uh, I have a physical, ther physical therapist uh, coming to the uh, to home uh, a few times a week. And in a couple of visits, we realized that she had no value to me. I can teach her how to deal with the people like me. Wow. <laughs> well, actually, she was, she was coming to give me a massage and take a lessons on how to uh, recover. Wow. Um, so so what, did the, um, what did the early part of that recovery look like when you were completely, uh, presumably you were completely immobile for the first part of when it was most acute? You were probably just flat out bedridden, right? You couldn't move at all while you're in the acute treatment phase. Well, at that time, my goal was just to suppress the pain because the pain was overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, nothing but breath works with the pain reduction. Yeah. Uh, and recovering, uh, 
if you don't move, if you cannot move, it's mostly isometrics. Yeah. So you did like I tension isolations. Sure. Yes, dancing yeah. relaxation, uh, keeping circulation running. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the same thing you're using for the warm up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's, it's apparently with what Gene said after he got shot, same thing. Right? He couldn't move for quite a long time because he, you know, he had a colostomy and his his half of his intestines were out and all that kind of stuff. And he said, "Yeah, what you could do at the beginning was just breathing for the pain and trying to control the psychological effects, and then gradually mm-hmm. introducing some tension and seeing how you can move around the, the the damage that you have and find new ways to move a little bit." And so, what what did it progress to? So after tension and and breath work, how did you ease yourself back into something um, approaching the movement that you had before? Well, the priority was to get to walking again, at least. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Hmm. And from that point, you, you move to the squats, push-ups, and yeah. uh, even since then, I try not to do weights anymore. It's only called static body weight. Wow. Okay. That's so you did weights up to that point, and now um, since then you do I Well, I do. I, I was a managing gym for uh, for about 10 years, so I have a full set of the hardware at home, uh, including leg press. Yeah. I hardly ever touch it. Hmm. Okay. It helped. It sent to the point to build up some muscle mass again. Yeah. Uh, but majority of the work was systemic type. Yeah. Uh, mobility. And and for that, pretty much you just used the standard kind of four systemic exercises: the push up, the squat, and the body raise, the leg raise. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to do a yeah. lot of extraneous other stuff. Or... Up and down, uh, sit down, sit up, lay down, sit down, or kneel, kneel, stand up. So mm-hmm. again, the same routine you're doing for the. Uh, uh, solo work, uh, working on different levels. Yeah. And how long did it take you, do you feel, to go like to fully recover, to get back to something that you would uh, call kind of about the same as your former well, self? Six months was total disability. Uh, I was, I walked to the office in about five months. Wow. And I started teaching uh, about a couple of months after that. So uh, my recovery started, the total recovery took about, well, total i'm still recovering i'm considered hmm. still i'm uh, going through the slow recovery phase of the process sure uh, i would say four or five months yeah did it um did that surprise the uh the medical team that you were working with presumably you had a team of uh, neurologists or people you're going back to and therapists were, were they surprised um at the rate of which you recovered or was it um kind of something they've seen before i didn't ask Okay. <laughs> I tried, once I was out of hospital, I tried to minimize my contact with the with the <laughs> Like I'm done here. We don't need to. We don't need to be friends anymore. We're fine. <laughs> gotcha. Great. So, have you find have you found that your training has changed at all in the in in adapting after before and after the illness? Have you had to move in different ways, or you emphasize different things in your movement and your training now? Yeah, it's like a threshold before and after. Mm. Uh, you adjust. It doesn't matter what kind of uh, limitation you have you'll still adjust. Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't matter where the limitation is coming from, uh, injury, illness, mm-hmm. or just aging, yeah. uh, you'll adjust. Yeah, I was talking to um, Bratzel Borena, I guess, on the last um, podcast, uh, talking down there in Peru, and he was talking about how one of these things that makes systemity so unique is that it it changes constantly with you. So the work is not really to try and perfect your system of movement or perfect your technique now. It's to continually adapt what, what um, your movement to, to what you are now, right? And even if you don't sustain any injuries or illness, and which before most of us at some points in our lives, right? Um, just aging eventually will change 
the way that the number of things that you can do, the way that you move, maybe you won't be able to do a big backspinning flying kick. Maybe you won't be able to do that rolling BJJ takedown or whatever it's going to be like when you're when you're 60. So you might as well start learning how to adapt your movement now, and then kind of then Sistema grows and changes with you throughout your whole life. Do you, do you feel like that's a fair assessment of what's going on? Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, because look, your performance stamina does not directly depends on your physique. Yeah, I never seen Michael doing push-ups. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, probably I has a parody. He didn't pass. Some somebody witnessed it. Yeah, uh, but it wasn't me. <laughs> uh, but look at his performance. Yeah, yeah. Look what he does. This. Okay. Uh, no, nobody can duplicate it. And it's not a miracle. He went just on the same path we're on. Is he went a little further? Yeah. Yeah. So even though your physique may be degrading, hmm. uh, it does not mean your performance will be degrading along with it. Yeah. It's yeah. it's great to see uh, good systemic performance along with the physique, but it's not essential. That yeah. connection is hmm. is about bonus. It's a benefit, but it's not it's not essential. Yeah, and that that's an interesting question it throws up. I mean, again, yourself you're not a small guy it's one of the most closest human approximations to a to a bear i've ever seen i've got to say probably but it's but, um so a lot of people would sort of say would look at you and they would sort of actually people i think i showed a video once of uh after i got back from the summit of masters or something like that and my dad who's you know he's a he's a former athlete he was a soccer player professional that kind of stuff and i've been doing martial arts my whole life but different ones but he doesn't really know all that much about systema i just kind of described it to him in different ways and, uh, and i showed him a video i was like oh here's a couple of guys that train with this guy's a big sergey i trained with him he basically launched me over his head when we we're in the water in 2008 and he's like well what the bloody hell does that guy need martial arts for that that was his, his question <laughs> he's like well even if you didn't have it probably people will be hard pressed to try and uh, attack you and work with you so how would you um, how would you answer that if somebody sort of says to you, well, you don't even need martial arts, so maybe you know the reason why you're good at it or you know stuff like that, you've got such an advantage already. Why do you even need to bother training technique or movement or or power aspects and things like that and relaxation? Even without that relaxation, you could probably use tension and be fairly effective. What? How do you normally respond when people kind of? Um, well, size is not just the benefit, also the burden. Mm, in what way? Uh, well. Big people fall harder and they break faster. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, the best, well, the best bodyguards that I saw are not of my size. Even though people think bodyguard is the big, uh, the big deterrent yeah. to mm. cover the principle. Yeah. Uh, the best bodyguard I met uh, are much, much, much smaller. Yeah. Much smaller. Yeah. And uh, those guys are actually better in, in their job than the uh, big wardrobe size, my size. Uh, individuals and is that because they have to be you think because they can't rely on the, the other side or well uh their their mobility skills are better because of the side they don't have to move much you don't see gymna gymnasts on olympic games um hmm. uh, more than a certain height yeah so quality of the movement is easier and better uh, uh with the with the smaller size uh yeah. there are many things i couldn't do even my best that smaller people could do easily. Mm. Um, plus, if you are, it doesn't matter how big you are, you have three, four opponents who are skillful. Uh, yeah. Your size makes no difference. And going on the ground with the two, even with the two opponents, yeah, yeah your size yeah. is not that important. And weapons, I guess. So everybody it, gets stabbed the same. So. <laughs> it comes, it comes handy from time to time. Yeah. But it's not universal. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, do you, do you find yourself? Um, adapting your movements sometimes in order to um 
teach people if they are a, a, a notably different size to you? Do, do you change the way that you're doing something? So say, well, this, this is how I do it, but here's how you might approach the same thing. Or does it not really become an issue? Is it just principles that you're teaching? I had universal suggestion pretty much to all these students, hmm. big or small. If you work with their opponents, uh, you work considering or assuming that you are smaller, weaker, hmm. uh, less experienced. Hmm. So always think of your training partner uh, as being bigger, heavier, stronger, and faster than you are. So always work from the weaker point of sight, point of view. If you end up being stronger, bigger, heavier, uh, or faster at some point, it's a bonus. Yeah. But the core of the work has to be based on you being weaker. And then that's why most of the, for some time I was wondering why in systemic work mostly from defensive side. Yeah. Uh, we hardly ever do offensive work. Mm-hmm. And that's because you put yourself at disadvantage uh, from the start. Mm. So playing black in the chest, you're always in disadvantage. You have to respond. Mm. And if you can respond well, then if you have to play uh, first hand, yeah. it's extra bonus. You yeah, do exactly the same work, yeah. uh, except now you have to justify the damage you will inflict if you start first. Yeah, gotcha. Definitely. Do, do you... Um, sorry. Yeah. We're civilians because, uh, again, and for that reason... Uh, every time you will have to respond to attack, uh, you don't have to have moral justification of uh, being in the positions where you can. We have to hurt someone else. Sure. Yeah. If they uh, if they punch you, you can respond with a punch, or you can respond with the evasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they pull the knife, well, they made decision for you. Mm-hmm. You have to protect your life, and morally, uh, you're not obligated to keep them uh, healthy anymore. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that dilemma. Sure. Yeah. Gotcha. Do, do you, um, so I'm just kind of, uh, thinking to some of my guys who are in my class who are, um, they're big lads as well. Right. So most, most of the people in my class are kind of like mesomorphs, medium size. They're about 180 pounds or smaller, something like that. Right. Um, but then we've got about five or six who are kind of between 225, 250. They're, you know, they're, they're big guys. They're kind of broad and they're tall as well at the same time. And sometimes they, it, it seems like they have problems with the mobility work where you have to kind of slip and, um, deny support to your partner, right? Where he's trying to kind of find support on you and you're trying to kind of relax individual parts of the body and they seem to have trouble kind of doing that. Do you have any specific advice um, for, for bigger guys who are trying to kind of uh, get around Exhaust that or should they just them. move like themselves? <laughs> no, no, no. Exhaust them as much as possible yeah. so they can work. If they have a tendency to use their size and strength, yeah. uh, make sure they work when you have no energy to fight. Okay. Uh, yeah. Or, well, as an instructor, you can put them in the positions where they became weaker. So you can sure. make them weaker artificially. Yeah. You can ask them to play weaker, but it's, it's, yeah. it is, it, they're still, at some point, they'll be slipping into yeah. wrestling. Mm. Uh, because of my wrestling background, I mm. always sleep in a more force-on-force work. Sure. I'm trying to do it less and less. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but And if you have multiple opponents or mm. armed opponents, mm. that's a two guys with a stick, mm. it doesn't matter how big and strong you are, you still have to move your bottom. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, weapons tend to be a great leveler, I find. But yeah, yeah, that's definitely the place where I see it kind of rearing its ugly head sometimes is when people are wrestling and they, they, when they're going slow, they start to move nice and soft. And as soon as things speed up, it's so hard for the big guys because they have that strength. So why not use it, right? And so it's, it's in their minds, they're like, oh, I've just, if I just kind of cram the guy, then it will be fine. I don't know. It, yeah. You can explain why it makes no sense, but it's sure. only will be verbal explanation that they don't have to listen to you. Sure. If they understand themselves, that much better, better outcome. Come. So if they start wrestling with, let's say they have two opponents, and uh, they start wrestling with one, let the other guy, the other guy, take this uh, knife, stick, chain, whatever else, or whip, yeah. and uh, 
help to understand better. Right. Pain is a great teacher. Pain is a fantastic teacher. Very quick feedback loop. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. So you said, um, so in your engineering kind of background, do you feel like that has found its uh, way into your teaching or training as well? How do you look at Sistema and its various aspects of kind of like the physical and then the psychological and the spiritual? Because I, I know sometimes, so my background was sciences, mostly biological sciences. I did genetics and immunology, and that's kind of where I was coming from. And I have a tendency to kind of try and break the body into bits and think of it as like a, a system. But I, I think I've been working long enough in Sistema now that I look at it as a whole living, breathing thing. And you're not just working with levers and pulleys. You're also working with the computer that controls it, right? The nervous system and the emotions that come up. But um, what I find is that sometimes I have difficulty in my mind reconciling the kind of the, the the aspects that seem a little bit more esoteric, like the parameters of power seminar last year up out there in Toronto that we went to, where Vladimir was constantly cycling between three ways of doing the same thing, right? He, he said you can wrestle on the ground and you can do it with what he could just call physics, you know, just pure physicality. And then you can do it with what he called relaxation, which is, uh, you know, it's still obviously physical. It involves patterns of tension and relaxation, but it's it's more geared towards um, finding the paths of least resistance and flow. And, and you see that in a lot of martial arts. But this third category um, that he referred to as power, this kind of like relaxed expression of power, is very interesting. It's not something that I've seen... I don't know anywhere else, or or expressing it in a different way, and it's 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 very um it's very tenuous, right? You you find it even when you're doing a simple drill like you know pressing on somebody's chest, and there's two or three people, and you find it, and you relax yourself, and you expand outwards, and you can feel it in your chest, and then it seems to evaporate, and you're kind of clinging to this little idea of power and all that kind of stuff. And how how have you tried to reconcile um, those aspects? I wouldn't even try to explain that. I okay, take it sure. as the given as a gift. Yeah, I, I wouldn't try to explain that. Okay. Yeah. You just trying to experience he, he it. Can. It doesn't matter yeah. how well you try to try. Yeah. Put in the words. It's not going to happen. That's why uh, if someone waiting for explanation from Vlad, Michael, mm. you or me, we won't be able to explain that. You cannot sure. explain Rembrandt uh, drawings to the blind. Sure. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so is there a place then for um, for faith, like faith in the in the process and in the ability in the training? Do you have to at some point suspend your kind of skepticism and disbelief and just be like? Well, it works. I don't understand why it works. I just need to train and understand and, and feel it in myself and not worry too much about exactly how it's working or, or, or what physical principles are coming to bear. Well, as an instructor, you have to reproduce and to, if not to explain a student what's happening, at least to put them in the conditions where he's able to understand himself. Yeah. So on that angle, you have to be able to at least reproduce uh, conditions where you were able to understand yourself mm. so your student can do the same thing and you can guide them through the process. Uh, because the, like a third part uh, of this, uh, of the power, like I said, it is impossible to explain. And mm. maybe it shouldn't even be explained, honestly, because it's... It's like a faith itself. It's too personal uh, to impose on anyone. Uh, that's mm. why you hardly ever hear talking about religion in the Vlad's or Michael's uh, classes. Probably never. Yeah. So right. faith is a too personal. Uh, it's too. Uh, I, I won't say too intimate, mm. uh, but it should not be part of the process, teaching process, the learning process. Mm. Interesting. Again, yeah. neither you or me are qualified to deal with that. Pr- part of the human life so sure. let's yeah leave it up leave, leave it that out. to the experts <laughs> exactly. yeah absolutely. Uh, but in order to reproduce the uh, learning environment we should understand uh, how that works and at least for ourselves yeah um, maybe not the nature of that force but at least the source and the condition that can allow to 
uh, understand it. Okay, that's great. That's that's reassuring for me because I feel like I'm looking under the right rocks now. So that's a, <laughs> that's the know, kind of approach I've tried to take. So that's good. Yeah. Being analytical, uh, we tend to break things apart. I hmm. uh, understand pieces of it, uh, but if you look at the any mechanism, you can understand it not as a as a single component, but only when it's worked together. Yeah. We are too complicated mechanism as a human beings uh, to break things apart. Yeah. Uh, you can take system of movement and explain it from a mechanical point of view. You heard about the Kadashnikov Russian style? Yeah. They That's what to... happened there. The yeah. guy who is professional theoretical mechanics, the Kadashnikov, uh, uh, oldest Kadashnikov, was teaching hmm. theoretical mechanics, and he was explaining the movement from the pure scientific and mechanical point of view. Hmm. And it worked great. Yeah. Except when you when you break things apart and give it to students in pieces, it's up to them to collect it. Yeah. As a teacher, you saw the whole thing together, mm. and you may be able to recollect it. The students didn't. You give them pieces, mm. and if they're lucky, they may stumble on the way to collect it together. Yeah. Uh, with the Kajnikov style, I don't think those students were lucky enough to put it together, and that's the deficiency of that style, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, uh, in Sistema, as Michael and Vladimir teaching, it never been broken into pieces. So from yeah. time to time, they show certain movements in in sequence, uh, but it's not the concept of the teaching itself. Yeah, it's the principle that you're looking for, and they're just ideas, I guess, ways of expressing that principle, right? That, that usually they're showing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like when you're working, in most cases, you end up with a good, doing very good, uh, easy movement. And a few minutes later, you cannot reproduce it. Yeah. Mm. Because it was born in the moment, the moment is gone, yeah. and uh, you can capture only what you felt at the moment when you were successful. Yeah. And that sensation, that emotion uh, is more valuable than anything else. Yeah. Because now you have a knowledge, you're capable to deliver that kind of work, mm. and uh, you can put yourself in a similar state in the future and repeat similar kind of work, but it's never duplicated. Yeah. Because the same, you can't step in the same river twice, right? It's already flowed on. Yeah, same way. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah, it reminds me of a, a Martin telling me about when he finally got um, Vladimir to go down to LA and uh, to do the interview for the Black Belt magazine thing, and he had to do the demonstrations and things. And he just had one of the guys, uh, Yuri, I think it was, or something, attacking him, and he like threw him down. And the the Black Belt guys, the photographers, were like, that was awesome. Could you do that again? And Vlad just said. <laughs> No, <laughs> so no. But he goes, why not? And he goes, that was appropriate. Then it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know how he's going to attack me. It might be a little bit different next time, you know. So it's just so funny that that flat no response is <laughs> kind of, uh, and that gives the reasoning, right? You, uh, it's mo- we've moved on, and so the state will be different next time. The relationship between the people, right? So, well, um, so I was gonna something I was gonna pick up on that you said. So what are we talking about? We, um, we're talking about the parameters, the the power. Oh yeah, the styles. So this was this is an interesting distinction because sometimes people now, I think, sometimes people um, will, if you tell them about Sistema, they'll Google it and they'll look on YouTube and they'll see now a lot of different stuff, right? In the early days, maybe you would see just some Kadoshnikov stuff and then you would see some of Vlad and Michael and, and not much. And, and now it seems like uh, every Russian and his dog is, is starting a Sistema style. Right? And there's a lot of uh, yes. there's a lot of people there calling themselves their own styles. There's, um, there's Vadim Stadov. There's like a... a and I, I think some of the early ones is that Retuinsky, I think, was quite an, one of, an earlier student. Um, and maybe, I don't know if he came out of the Kadoshnikov school and some other stuff, but it seems like there's some guys who have deep training. And when you look at their work, you're like, yeah, that's definitely come, come 
coming from something very deep. And other guys who just seem to be jumping on the bandwagon. It's not from the like, same source. If you're talking yeah. about different Russian styles, yeah. if you look, again, uh, we are dealing with the leftovers of the bigger knowledge. Yeah. And at some point, uh, some people were exposed to the element of that knowledge. Sure, yeah. Uh, from, uh, I'm I, not closely familiar with the Kalashnikov style. Yeah. Uh, I saw people practicing, uh, who practice Ross. Yeah. Intuski, who also was the Kalashnikov student, mm. uh, but he sort of made a hybrid out of the uh, combat sambo and Kalashnikov school, which mm. uh, that's again like any other style, yeah. have its right yeah. to existence. Mm. Uh, I'll tell you that uh, I'm happy with what I found, sure, and yeah. I have no reason to, to, to yeah. see this to uh, switch anything else. Yeah, uh, what we Me have, if yeah. have enough room of growth and yeah. self development. Uh, yeah. Again, if you you've been in the best meal, you don't go back to McDonald's after you've been <laughs> to the Red Lobster. McDonald's yeah. is no longer <laughs> in your in your choices. Yeah, it doesn't taste good anymore. Yeah, I've 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 been I've been asked that before as well by the students. Like, oh, why haven't you gone like this route or that route or with another instructor where they do different things? And my answer has always been, why well, just go where I see the most the most skill and the most knowledge, right? And to my mind, I've just never seen anybody with anywhere near as much skill or knowledge as, as Vladimir and Michael. I'm just still in, no matter how long you train, they seem to, they're gaining more knowledge and ability over time. Whereas a lot of the others, it seems like they had a fixed amount of knowledge and then just, they're just doing the same thing year in, year out, right? They're just recycling their, their, their bag of tricks. So. Well, it's a different approach. Uh, yeah. Again, the great respect we have for Michael and Vlad because they keep growing. Yeah. Uh, they keep developing. Their style is different. Even the way they're teaching uh, is, is teaching. People prefer to capitalize on their knowledge, on the fixed knowledge, and uh, keep milking it mm. uh, without further growth. Again, it's personal choice. Yeah. Again, everyone have uh, the right to, to select. Free country, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So again, there's no. It's not critical. Uh, yeah. I prefer to keep growing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, um, so that brings on the question of like, is Systema for everybody? Do you think should it be for everybody, or do you feel like there's only a subset of people who can grow from Systema? Are some people just not predisposed to the, to learn in the way that Systema asks you to learn, or is it something so universal that everybody could or should benefit from it? It is a load of questions. Uh, I mean, mm. technically, Systema is for everybody. Mm. Everybody can do it. You can be. Uh, you saw people in their 80s. I yeah. have students who were uh, well in 80s and they keep practicing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. see kids' classes. Hmm. Uh, my kids started doing martial arts. My younger kid, my younger son competed when he was five. Yeah. Uh, but he was competing in judo. At hmm. some point, they started doing Sistema and judo uh, without knowing anything about Sistema. Yeah. So uh, the range of the ages and the physical abilities is wider than any other art. Yeah. So in this in this content, yes, yeah, Sistema is for everybody. Yeah. Uh, can everybody uh, make uh, can see the value in it? Mm. <laughs> Definitely not. Mm. Yeah. Definitely not. Mm. What What do you think? Most people don't even know what they want. How many people walk into your class knowing what they want? Not many. Many come for one of a couple of things, right? They either come in because they think it's exotic or something different and fun to try, right, that they've not done before, or they come in because they, they think they want self-defense skills, and then they end up staying for a completely different reason, right? They realize that it's, it's, this is a lot more than a self-defense class, right? And, it's, and that's So their reasons for, change, for training change over time. And yeah. that's most people who stayed in the system and stay with it, uh, stay not because of their original intent. Yeah. Definitely. They see something bigger in it and they understand this is how often do you fight in the streets, honestly? 
Yeah, yeah. But benefit of other benefits of sperma is used every day. Mm, definitely. So, on the personal level, have have your reasons for for training changed a lot over the years? And if so, were there any kind of formative experiences that you had in your tra- training that kind of made you? change the way that you look at Sistema or has it just been such a gradual process that it's hard for you to pick out moments within those like training moments where you, where you were turned around? Well, I remember only one phase of my uh, history when I stopped asking questions, mm. that works better for me. <laughs> <laughs> you start looking answers for yourself and you're looking for confirmation uh, without asking questions. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Um, was that fairly early on in your training, or was it, did it take you no, a while? No, no, I wish it was. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> gotcha. And have, have there any been? Have there been any things in Sistema training that have really kind of surprised you or alarmed you? You just ha- hadn't expected to be able to find that there, or that you just had no idea that that ability or that level was there before. Well, I am fascinated by the depth of it. Uh, hmm. Even now, after what. Uh, yeah, close to 15 years in Sistema, I really feel I only scratch the surface. Yeah, right. The pool keeps getting deeper, right? You swim in and it exactly. just keeps getting deeper. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I just living with this fascination. I feel very fortunate. I was uh, lucky to meet Led. It was, uh, again, it was a life-turning moment. Yeah. It seems like that Ike Expo was a really good move. There's at least five, six and established instructors that I've talked to on this podcast who are like, yeah, I was doing Aikido for a while or I was doing Judo for a while and I went to this expo where I saw this video of the expo and all of them interestingly had the same thing. They looked at what Vlad was doing and they're like, meh, I'm not sure I like it. Like, it looks fake or something. And then when they actually went there, when they saw the videos, the old TRS tapes or something, and then when they actually went there and worked with them, they're like, oh, okay, this is real, and it changed their whole worldview, like, in a moment. So I thought that's kind of interesting. Yeah. It seemed to be a focal point. Yeah, I appreciate Stanley Prennan, uh, rest in peace, uh, mm-hmm. for what he did with the IK Expo, because uh, there are more stories on Sistema associated with the IK Expos than mm-hmm. with any other events. Yeah, <laughs> I was starting to realize that, definitely. Great. So um, so what's next for you? Are you staying in the NorCal area and continuing to teach there? Do you have any seminars coming up? Are you traveling around to teach? Um, one of my students opened the school. Well, he was uh, he opened the group in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I'm having him to teach weekly. Other uh, than that, I'm doing monthly seminars and uh, seminars. Uh, I teach monthly seminars and private lessons in Sacramento area. Great, brilliant. That's and, uh, seminars uh, as invited instructor. Yeah, I understand you're coming coming our way to the East Coast. You're coming to a Bobby Schwartz's school in Greenville, South Carolina. In the... That's the nearest, yes. Yeah, and uh, that's that's coming up. So I can put the details for that on the uh, show notes for folks that want to register for that one and, uh, and give that a go. So. I'm looking forward to that. Most of the people who train in that part of the country, I met on in seminars, so I look forward to meeting you guys. So it's... yeah. It's a good bunch. The East Coast is definitely, there's a, there's a lot of us now. I think it's definitely, it's exploded a lot since in the last 10 years since I've been here anyway. So it's it's a nice pool to draw from. We, we don't normally have too much trouble filling up seminars and welcoming people in. So that'll be a good one. I was there for, uh, I think he hosted Jason um, Priest from HQ in uh, November. And I went along to that one and it was a really nice group. So I'm sure you're going to have a great time with Bobby and his, and his crew down there. Well, thanks so much, Sergey, for taking the time. Uh, any closing thoughts, anything that you would like people to know or understand about Sistema before we low off? No, I want to thank you for doing this because uh, looking at the library of the notes of the of your blog, mm-hmm. uh, that's a wealth of knowledge. And how many people have a chance to talk to different structures and yeah. have different thoughts? So it's the great work you're doing. I appreciate it. Oh, no, you're very welcome. And hopefully I'm, at some point I'm going to turn 
transcribe these and trying to um for people who don't like listening to podcasts and maybe they like to read it instead so uh, i'll make that available at some point further down the line but thanks for, thanks again very much Best for, of luck. yeah and thanks for taking the time and uh, safe safe drives and i'll hopefully talk to you again soon same here thank you thanks for listening if you'd like to find out more about training at NC Sistema, you can visit us online at www.ncsistema.com. If you'd like to find out more about Sistema classes and seminars worldwide, please visit www.russianmartialart.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can share it with your friends online, you can write a review on iTunes, or you can support us directly with a monthly contribution of $1, $5, whatever you can afford. To become a Sistema for Life patron, please visit www.patreon.com slash ncsistema. Any and all contributions are very much appreciated. They help us to keep the podcast going and to keep it advertising free. Many thanks, good health, and see you in training.